Open up to Acts chapter 8. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and someone can, can bring one by to you. But Acts chapter 8, and we are picking up right after the martyrdom of, of Stephen. And as I said last time we, we, we were in Acts, you know, we went through Stephen's death. It's the first recorded martyr of uh, any Christian uh, in the book of Acts. And it's a kickoff, and we're going to find out a kickoff of a, unfortunately, really hard time for the church in terms of persecution. But in that light, I just want to ask you, why are you here? I mean, ultimately, why are you here? You know, if, 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 if someone were to, you know, if, if these guys with guns were to burst through the doors and point guns at us and ask, why are you here? It's like, well, I don't know. It's like what I'm supposed to do. It's like this is the Christian thing. I'm a Christian. It's culturally, this is what we do. But I don't know that that's enough of an answer. I mean, I think Stephen died because ultimately he, he believed some of the audacious things that Jesus said. Jesus claimed that he was the Messiah. Jesus, he predicted that I'm going to die I'm going to be buried for three days, and then I'm going to raise from the dead. And then he actually did that. A guy that raises from the dead is, in my mind, somebody worth following. And if that did not historically happen as a fact, this is a waste of time. I mean, like, why am I here? I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. The foundation of what we believe hinges on the fact that he rose from the dead. It's a big deal. And that's why Stephen would stand up there and be bold and just claim all these things about who Jesus was and the message of redemption and all of that, and then stand there and receive these stones that took him to his death. And then all the other disciples, I think all the apostles but one, were martyred for their faith because they believed, they saw with their eyes that he rose from the dead. That's a big, big deal. It's a radical message that, that, that Stephen was proclaiming out in front of all these guys. Jesus died for the imperfect person. I mean, it's huge, big, big deal. And, and look at uh, chapter 7, or actually 8. So just go back to, to the last verse of chapter 7. I just want to remind you of what Stephen said. It says, in following to his knees, so he's being killed by stoning at this moment. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. So he's wanting everybody to hear what he's about to declare. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And of course, that echoes what Jesus said on the cross. You know, Jesus said something very similar. Jesus cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It's an incredible kind of love. And then look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. I'm going to read through 4. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. We're going to, in a few weeks, we're going to start to look at uh, Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. It says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So Stephen's like this kickoff of this incredible persecution. And they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. So the Christians are all being spread out because there's people trying to kill them. Except the apostles. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
So, so they didn't go around complaining about what was happening. They're going around telling everybody about the good news of, of Jesus. So, so in, in other words, there's this massive kickoff. And, 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 you know, and this scene kind of reminds me, if you know the history, I mean, it's just like it went to Judea, it went to Samaria, it goes beyond that into Europe. And then if you look at the first 300 years, I mean, Christianity just explodes. Uh, I wrote, one estimate that I read this week is that in uh, the year 100 AD, there were about 25,000 Christians in the world. But by 300 AD, there were about 25 million Christians in the world at that time. Christianity just went from nothing to millions of people in a very short amount of time. It reminds me of like, you know, like uh, movies about where there's like some kind of massive pandemic that, that happens or the, the zombie apocalypse. You know how there's always like the, 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 the scene in a bunker with a scientist and he's briefing the president, you know, the scene, and they show you a map, and it's like the red, like, spreads all over the world, you know, in this many days of the virus. I mean, that's essentially what happens here. It's like Christianity just explodes across all the known world at this time. And what I believe the reason for that is because of this radical kind of love that Stephen is showing right here. Stephen loved them even in the face of being murdered by a mob. <clears throat> it's a love for their enemies. And the, let me give you the big idea. Love is the accelerant to the mission of God, especially in the face of injustice. And, and put any word you want in there, in the face of evil, in the face of sin, in the face of wrong. It's like love, ultimate kind of love, is Giving to people in the response of evil. You know, normal kind of worldly love, it's like everybody loves other people that love them, right? We all do a good job at loving people that love us. You know, our culture says, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You do a favor for me, I do a favor for you. That's normal kind of love. This is God kind of love where it's love in the face of evil. And and what we, we see from this is that it just explodes the message throughout the entire world. I think it's that one key, simple idea. Love in the face of evil. Someone does wrong to me, and in return, I love them back. You know, and we've seen this in our, in our modern culture as well. You know, in, on, on April 15th, every year, Major League Baseball, you'll notice if you watch baseball games on that day, every player will wear the number 42. So every player on the field has the number 42. And it's to commemorate the day that Jackie Robinson stepped onto a Major League Baseball field for the very first time and broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And he was a massive figure in our, in our history, in 20th century history. He was one of the earliest uh, figures in the, uh, the more modern civil rights movement. And um, uh, Rick, uh, uh, Branch Rickey was the, I think his title was the president of the Brooklyn Dodgers and uh, Branch Rickey was a believer, and he thought it's wrong that we don't allow black people to play in Major League Baseball. And so Branch Rickey started looking for, I need the ideal kind of man to be the first. And so he found Jackie Robinson, and one of the things that he told Jackie Robinson when he was interviewing him is he said, do you have the guts to not respond in kind? Are you man enough to stand up to it? And he spent hours with him going through. It's like, they're going to call you this. And then they're going to threaten you at home. And they're going to cleat you. And they're going to throw the baseball at your head. And thing after thing after thing. Jackie, you cannot respond in kind. 
And, and what we saw is that that was one of the big things that kicked off this transformation culturally within baseball and then in other parts of the culture as well over the decades that followed. Because Jackie Robinson did not respond with evil, to evil with evil, he, he, he responded with love. Because there's something special about love in the face of evil that highlights it, that just, just, just makes it explode in terms of making it very clear what's right and what's wrong. Because when somebody is wrong to us and we are wrong back to them, it, just, it all gets messy and fuzzy. You know, it's like you hit somebody in the mouth, they hit you in the mouth, and it's like, okay, everybody's wrong here. Everybody did something wrong. And it just becomes a fight. But when our response is love in the face of evil, particularly in the face of evil, it completely and radically changes things. And so I just want to look at some of the ways that, that we, we are supposed to love, and it's a God kind of love. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5. I've got it up on the screen. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. He says, you have heard... That it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So that's that normal, normal love that I was talking about. You do something wrong to me, I do something wrong to you. You take my eye, I take your eye. You know, it's just, it's in kind. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. You're wrong to me, I'm wrong to you. Just simple as that. Everybody does that. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, Take your tu- to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, so that you can be like the son of the father who loves like this. For he, for God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? In other words, that's the way everybody, everybody loves people who loves them. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the first thing we can say about God's love is that it is unconditional. It is radically unconditional. And the reason that I say it's unconditional is because it's no longer an eye for an eye. It, it's not based on the other person's performance. I, I, don't, I don't wait for them to do something nice to me and then I'll do something nice to them. It's, it's not conditioned on what they do. I'm just going to love them. And the reason I say it's radical is because it's, it's, not, wait, it's not just saying, well, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I think it's radical because I'm actually going to try to figure out how am I going to bless this person? How do I pray for this person? That is radical, radical kind of love. Very different. <clears throat> and then the next thing I'd say about God's love is that it is always just. It is always just. You know, when we are wronged, there, there is a part of us that just, you know, it rises up 
And it's just like, ah, I got to make this right in some way. You know, my boys, they just finished basketball season. And you see parents on the sidelines of youth sports getting so excited. And it's so, I mean, it's just like you just got to say something, you know, because maybe the referee missed something and then that caused the other team to be able to win or something. And it's just like, oh, I got, it's like, it's so unjust what just happened. You have to act. You have to say something. And that, that's just youth sports, right? That's just a small, insignificant thing. But, but what about if, if somebody were to, like, abuse your kid? You know, wrong somebody very close to you, personally. Look at Romans 12. It gets to this. And, 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 and before I read this, I, I just want to maybe set up a little bit. Because when I say always just, I think that we sometimes, we make one or two mistakes, Either on the one side, we make the mistake of, I have to have justice, therefore I'm going to take justice. I'm taking matters into my own hands. Vigilante kind of stuff. Or the other mistake is we just kind of ignore it, like it's not a big deal. I'm just going to brush under the rug what happened. Look at, look at what Romans 12 says. Verse 14. Same idea that Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then skipping down to verse 19, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And we're going to come back to that little interesting idea in a second. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in other words, if somebody has wronged us, especially if it's in a significant or somebody in our family in a significant criminal kind of way. I mean, like, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about in the moment. I think in the moment we should defend we should protect, absolutely. I'm talking about after the fact. God's saying, vengeance is my job. God's saying, I, I take vengeance. And I think it becomes a question of, do I trust him in that? He's going to take vengeance, and he's going to make it right, ultimately. My job is to love. His job is vengeance. My job is to love. You know, a few years ago, um, a a guy in um, Charleston, South Carolina, by the name of Dylan Roof, went into a church and shot nine people and killed them. I don't know if you remember that. It was a few years ago. And, and it made a lot of news because these church members were very public about their forgiveness for this killer. And, and I read this, this thing from this. Um, there was this lady. Her name is Rose Simmons. And she actually, at the time, she was in prison and she was in prison because her business partner had committed fraud. And she had found out about that fraud, and then because she had covered up some of that fraud, she had been implicated as well because of her cover-up of what the other person did. So she's in prison. That's where she is, because of, mainly because of what somebody else had done, right? She had some guilt, but mainly because of what somebody else had done, and this is what she said. I was watching television, and I saw where this young white boy walked into a church and brutally murdered nine people. In that moment, I began to pray for that young man. My thoughts were, Lord, for someone to do that, 
they, they don't know you. They don't understand the love and the forgiveness that you offer. And then shortly after seeing the news story, she was called into the uh, prison office, and she was told that her father was one of those nine victims that was shot and killed. And then knowing that her father was killed by the shooter, she prayed for Simmons, and she still had no ill thoughts about him. She said, I forgave this young man before, even when I knew that my father was one of those people. When I found out, it didn't change my heart of forgiveness for him. And then she said, we have all experienced people and things in our lives where we don't want to forgive. And if you could just imagine with me for a minute, I was in prison with my business partner. I ate with her every day. We worshiped every day. Forgiveness started with me long before Dylan came into my life. What a powerful example. And then, I don't know if you guys saw, like, on the New York Times, the cover of New York Times, the top of Washington Post, it just said, like, we forgive you. And I've got a screenshot of, of, that I found on the Internet. You know, it's like, we forgive you. It was incredibly powerful because they, they, they brought some of the victims' families into the courtroom, and, and I don't know if it was during the sentencing or what. So they're face-to-face with this killer. And, and let me read what one of those guys said. He said this publicly. He said to the killer, I forgive you. My family forgives you, but I want to, you to take the opportunity here to repent, to confess, to give your life to the one that means the most to you, Christ. Because you are in a lot of trouble right now, and I don't know what's going to happen to you. But whatever happens to you, if you don't do that, if, or if you do that, you'll be all right. I mean, what a message of hope. I mean, what an incredible thing. I mean, and to me, the beauty of this is that it's like love plus justice is happening here, right? I mean, both of them together. God's vengeance is coming out. I mean, this guy got, I don't know, seven life sentences back to back. Um, But justice was served, ultimately, from the government. And it's actually kind of fascinating that right after this passage in Romans, at the beginning of Romans 13, it talks about government. And and look what it says in verse 4. It says, for he, and he's talking about human government, is God's servant for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. It's like, it's right, complimentary right there with what he just said about vengeance is mine. Part of the way that God brings justice and vengeance is through the government. And I mean, thankfully, we are in a nation where, relatively speaking, compared to other parts of the world, we have a very just government that, that, that does deal with crime. In, in, in real ways. We don't have to, I mean, we can trust in that regard. I mean, because there are parts of the world, unfortunately, where you can't trust the government. They don't defend victims. And so we've got to trust God with vengeance. It's like, give him, it's like, God, you've got the vengeance thing. My job is to love. And I think that another extreme that we can take on the other side is that we say, okay, you know, what they did was wrong, but I... Um, I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to cover that up. And, you know, we've seen a lot of things happen in the news with churches and, you know, the Catholic church, and we've seen the Baptist churches and others where there's been lots of things that have been uncovered 
They're just ugly and awful. Where powerful people or people in charge were protected, right? And, um, and I think that in some of those instances, they're protecting the powerful just, just to protect them. But I also think that when we are in a culture and within a people where we want to love and be generous, that there's a, there's a temptation that if we discover something that's criminal, there's a temptation to, okay, we just need to cover that with love. Cover that with love. But I think the right thing to do is to go to the governing authorities. It's like to, to say, look, I'm so glad that you've confessed that and that you've repented of that. We're going to walk with you and love you through that, but, but I have to take it to the, the government. My job as a pastor, your job as a fellow Christian, we, our job is to love people. We don't, we don't investigate crimes. We're not, in, we're not equipped for any of that kind of thing. Right? And so I think it's, it's important for us to say, like, look, there, there is a government whose job is to oversee that, that world. And it's not the church's job. What we can do is we can love people and walk people through things, you know, and, and be with them. But we can't cover up crimes. We can't, we can't do that. That's, that's God's department, not ours. And I hope that that, that distinction makes sense. Finally, I think that God's love is redeeming. God's love is redeeming. You know, I mean, like the song that we sang earlier, it's like God's love leads us to repentance. And there, there's a, that's based on Romans 2.4. I've got it on the screen. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. There is something incredibly powerful about love in the face of evil that leads people to repentance. And, and that's the kind of love that we got. Romans 5, 6, 8, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for the one for one who will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of love that we've received from God. It's absolutely incredible. And, and, and to me, here's the incredibly powerful thing about why I think love just is an accelerant to the mission. Because we're telling people that God loves you so much that he would die for you. He would lay his life down for you. And I think that when we are wronged, we now have the opportunity to give them a picture of that. Because they, they wrong us and then our response to them is love. And, and so it's like, okay, now I see in you what you're telling me about what God did for me. You know, Christians, it means little Christ. I mean, it's like we get to act like Jesus in that sense. It's incredibly powerful. I had a, I had a friend that um, his very first real job he got um, out of college was downtown D.C. And he started working there, and he's in a cubicle at the place he's working. And there's another guy that got hired at exactly the same time as him. They were in neighboring cubicles. And this other guy was constantly competing with him in a way that was just like, this guy just hated my friend. And he always felt like my friend was going to hold him back or was in the way of his own, you know, advancement at, at, at work. And, and, and my friend never knew, what, okay, how do I deal with this guy? He's like hyper competitive with me. And then uh, an office opened up. 
And their boss came to them and said, okay, guys, we have an office, and we also have a parking space that's now available. And so what I want to do is give one of those to each of you. We need to figure out who gets the parking spot and who gets the office. And, and my friend was driving from out here down there all the time, and was always, parking was always a challenge. And this other guy lived down there, and he would just, like, take the bus and the subway. He didn't really need a parking spot. And so the boss is like, all right, here's how we'll do it. I'm going to flip a coin, and whoever wins it gets first choice. And so the other guy won, and he, the other guy knew that my friend needed a parking space more than he needed an office. And the other guy's like, I'll take the parking spot. That's what he did. And then my friend was like, okay, how about you also have the office? So my friend was like, you can have the office and the parking space. I'll just, I'll just keep the cubicle. And that, he, my friend said, it's like it just completely changed their relationship. It absolutely completely changed the relationship. And from that point on, it was like, now we're friends. Now we can get along. I mean, it's, it's just the power of, I'm going to bless you in the face of your evil towards me. It's not just, it's not just setting back, but I want to actually actively love you. And then go back to Romans 12, 20. I think I have it on the screen. Yes. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For, by, for so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that's not meaning like this is how you can get him back. He's referring back to the Proverbs, and, and, and the, the idea there is the holy conviction of God. Okay, so in other words, when, when two people are just going back at it, it's like you wrong me and I wrong you, and it's like back and forth, back and forth. It's, it's, just, it's just like a fog of, of a fight, you know? But when one person responds in love, there is a powerful opportunity for the Holy Spirit to now work in that person's life. And that's what that is. I, I remember one conference speaker a long time ago, that Christy was telling me about, who basically, what he said was, if you respond to someone who hates you, it's like getting in the way of the Holy Spirit, right? So, in other words, the Holy Spirit wants to work on their life. And if, and if, if you don't love them, then you're just in the way. But when we love, it's like opening up this clear shot where now the Holy Spirit can work on their life. And that's this idea that he's talking about. And Because ultimately... Ultimately, this is about what's good for them in our own hearts. And that's what Stephen's, I mean, that's an incredible example of Stephen. Stephen doesn't care about his life. He cares about his killer's relationship with God. That is an, that is an incredible kind of love. Incredible, absolutely powerful. And it reminds me, and we'll close here with the, the example of Peter. You know, remember Peter's like Mr. Gusto, going to get it done. He's excited about the kingdom of God and the Messiah. And he's like Jesus' right-hand man. And then he's in the garden of Gethsemane, and this mob comes to arrest Jesus. And Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen. And he grabs a sword, and he like starts swinging it, and he cuts off a guy's ear. And then Jesus is like, stop, 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 stop. And then Jesus puts the guy's ear back on miraculously. And Jesus is like, that's not the way my kingdom is going to get accomplished. It's like, Peter, you're right. I'm the Messiah. Peter, you're right. My kingdom is going to come. But it is not going to advance through fighting. My kingdom is going to advance through love. This radical kind of love in the face of evil. And that's exactly what happened. It completely exploded. And then later in life, Peter wrote this. Finally, 
all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Our evil never produces righteousness in other people, ever. And then in verse 18, he says, and to me, this is where I feel like it just brings it home for us as Christians. For Christ also suffered for sins. Whose sins? Our sins. We're talking about, I mean, he suffered because of your sin. Put yourself personally in there. Christ did that for you. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That is Jesus' kind of love. I have been loved like that, therefore I can love other people like that. Let's pray.